Hi everyone and welcome back to Edinburgh Film Podcast episode 26. In this episode I am joined by our current MSc students Betty, Elisa and Thaddeus and we tackle Antichrist. At the time of the recording Antichrist was available on Mubi and if you don't know yet Mubi is a fantastic film platform available to everyone for a reasonable subscription fee and free to all film students. The films available vary from anything like Fellini to Joanna Hogg but you'll also come across film noirs and classic slapsticks from Preston Surges and such. But if you're interested in why Antichrist is worth your while, then keep listening. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit uh, one by one? Would you want to start, Betty? Um, yeah, of course. So uh, my name is Betty. I'm obviously studying here with Elise and Thaddeus. And I guess I could say that like one of my primary academic interests are film and gender theory uh, for the most part, which is also why I find Antichrist so interesting as a film. Mm, we'll get onto that later. How about you, Elisa? <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Elisa. Uh, I'm on the MSc Film Studies with the other guys here. Uh, I come from Italy. Um, I can't really say uh, I've been very consistent so far with my academic interests. <laughs> but yeah, uh, obviously, I love film. I love talking about film and uh, also reviewing film. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to be here talking with you guys. <laughs> Brilliant. And how about you, Thaddeus? Hello, my name is Thaddeus. I'm from the United States, so my lens of film studies is very colored by the Hollywood system. I'm also very interested in genre theory, and I'm a very big horror fan. I've been one for a long time. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm very excited to discuss this film today. So tell me a little bit about the film. Uh, We are talking about Antichrist today which is currently on Mubi, so if this episode comes out in time, <laughs> then <laughs> people can actually sort of catch it on Mubi. Uh, so who wants to sort of say why? Oh, I mean, obviously everyone can join in, but why did you go for this film? And also, who chose it? Who came up with the idea? I believe <laughs> Thaddeus um, like named a couple of film th- films that he was interested in, and Antichrist was the one that all three of us ended up deciding on. Mm. Um Personally, I just thought it was a very intuitive choice in the sense that I felt like we could have a lot to discuss. Plus, it's a very popular movie, actually. Mm. Yeah, I feel the same, actually. Um, but since I think that is the, is the biggest fan of horror <laughs> movies here, even though also Betty and I deeply enjoy watching strange films, um, I'd like that used to introduce the film, maybe. What do you think <laughs> of Go that? On that yes. no, come on. Well, um... Am I, am I just giving like a little synopsis here? Yeah, or? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the central conceit of the film is you have this couple and their, their toddler, their child, um, falls out of a window and dies while they are having sex. And so, <laughs> and that's not a spoiler. That's the whole point that, of the movie. That is, that <laughs> I is thought, the. I thought that that's where you were going to finish. And I was like, okay, what else happens? That, that, that is the opening scene of the movie. Um, so then it follows this couple on in, in this in the following events, which addresses their grief and how they deal with it. The husband is a he's a therapist, a psychologist. Psychotherapist, I think, is he? Psychotherapist? He's a cognitive behavioral therapist. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Going by his techniques, techniques, I guess, CBT. Yeah, Funtry is very specific when it comes to mind disease. (laughs) And, and, you know, he he doesn't approve of the way his wife is being treated for her grief, so he decides to, that he is going to treat her instead, and he 
does exposure therapy. He takes her to a forest called Eden, which she claims she's afraid of. And, well, things happen in the woods while they're all alone. So what was your... So is this the first time you watched this film or have you seen it before? Oh, yeah, well, uh, speaking for myself, that was like my first rewatch of Enterprise, to mm-hmm. say so. Um, but it wasn't definitely the, the first film by Fontry that I've seen, so it was like a nice, like, uh, it was very nice to add something to my knowing of the uh, of this filmmaker, which I personally love, because I guess that uh, um, a, he really has the power with his film to, like, always be on the edge of, like, Either kitsch and ridicule, or very, uh, very uh, inconvenient truth for our society, um, and I guess that's very positive uh, in our like contem- blockbuster-dominated contemporary film scenario. Don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys. For me, it was the second time watching the film. Um, the first time I'd seen it was a while ago, so it was pretty interesting for me too to revisit it, especially because I used to be a pretty big Fontrier fan. Um, to see how the film aged mm. and everything was pretty interesting to me, and especially like to see how I aged as well mm-hmm. in the meantime. Um, so in that respect, it was like the first time I watched it, I was extremely taken by it. Mm-hmm. And on the second viewing, I think I understand its central concepts a bit better than the first time. But I also think we've sort of come a long way since the height of Fontrier's popularity, really. Mm-hmm. So do you, would you say that being here, for instance, doing your MSc, w- did that inform you watching that film for the second time? As you were, t- were talking about you know, ageing and the film ageing as well, I guess you would have seen more films with every day, every year. So do you think like that's definitely changed your perspective as well? I think so. Um, I think so, especially like in terms of you know, me sort of watching it from the prism of gender analysis in general. But also just at the time when Fontrier was sort of the biggest enfant terrible of, you know, of art house cinema, so to speak, and especially European cinema, I remember appreciating him quite a, quite a lot because I thought his films were extremely intense. Mm-hmm. And did a lot of things that many other filmmakers never really did. Now, I'd say that maybe this sort of intensity, and maybe if I wanted to be so bold, a kind of lack of sophistication. (laughs) um, Interesting. So it sort of, it doesn't grate on me. I still love the film. I still really do love the film. But I don't find it quite as stimulating, I think, as I did when I was younger. I mean, maybe, maybe you're just realizing that the point is not watching the the, the pseudo gory splattery part, but going deeper into like the the real motivation of Vontre that the the Vontre had to like shoot some scenes. I guess uh, I mean, uh, but I mean, it's like when you when you're like hanging out with your friends and you say, "Oh, let's watch a movie." Everyone is like, "Oh, let's watch something by Fontry so we can have like the perfect match between our horror movies, something very uh, vaguely sexual and yeah, great great thrill for everyone." But maybe as you st- as you start studying film and start aging, let's say that you really realize that there's more deeply into it. I don't know. How about you, Thaddeus? Well, this was my first time watching this movie, so I was coming into it with a, the fairly 
fresh pair of eyes. And it was definitely, it was illuminating for me because, you know, this, this film's 10 years old and this was my first Von Trier film. But it was definitely, I, I saw elements of this film that later filmmakers have borrowed from, especially in terms of just the filmmaking itself and the aesthetics that were used. Could you name some examples that you're thinking of right now? Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's all right. Um, one film I, I thought about while I was watching this was uh, The Witch, mm. which... Which like, you didn't like, right? I did not care for The Witch, no. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> well, I, I, it, it reminded me of The Witch in that they both have... You know, it, it's more of a slow burn. It's more like... It, 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 the focus, I think, more is on aesthetic, and neither film I would describe as really plot or character driven. It's more of a kind of a visceral film, and um, I think they both kind of subvert horror convention in a similar way. I think it was uh, Robin Wood who described, you know, horror film at its very base is normality is ooh, normality is disturbed by some kind of monster and in both films you do get that but not in a very not in an overt exorcist or friday the 13th kind of way mm -hmm. and it did seem to me that especially with this film there wasn't any kind of monster which is kind of interesting especially when you kind of describe horror films and the aesthetic of horror films traditionally traditionally um, yes yeah yeah so so in that, and you said this before we started recording, that it's not, you, you don't really see it as a sort of an archetypal horror film. Um, and it seems that, you know, that that would be the case, partly because there is no monster. It's sort of more psychological, mm -hmm. as you kind of already hinted at, kind of drama almost. Um, but in terms of, you kind of hint, already noted on the cinematography, I guess, of it. And when you read anything about Antichrist, you get the sense that, you have the sort of shaky mobile camera and then you have these beautiful cinematic slow motion high quality shots um so could you talk more about what stood out to you the most in terms of cinematography perhaps or anything else in your characters or wh what was the one thing that you thought wow this is something that i'll remember about this film well it's kind of it's weird for me to say this because it's such a disturbing film but it's also it's also a beautiful film really just looking at it because you mentioned the the slow motion features. And one thing I found myself really, I was really taken by these flashback and fantasy sequences where, you know, they're clearly, they, they seem to be outside of the diegesis of the film, but, you know, you're still, you're still, I guess you're seeing more of a visceral, primal image of these characters as opposed to a literal one. And, just the juxtaposition of the more fantastical slow motion image right next to the, you know, more realistic Von Trier close up, mm -hmm. I think creates a really striking image. <laughs> um, so a lot of the stylistic decisions made in Antichrist, and I think in Lars Von Trier's later films in general, were obviously informed by the Dogme 95 movement. Uh, which was based in um, utilizing certain documentary formal conventions in the creation of fiction films. 
And as time went on, Lars von Trier and Thomas Winterberg, the the directors who established this movement, slowly um, distanced themselves from the formal conventions that they wanted to make into a little filmic manifesto and ended up making films um, in all kinds of, in a manner of styles. Now, I find it especially interesting in Antichrist how that movement and um, that movement and its aims still influences uh, how he makes his films. So, as you've observed, there are a lot of shaky handheld scenes, but they are also juxtaposed with these very carefully and well-made sequences. And I think it's it's ultimately that contrast that makes um, the final effect so striking. I mean, I was especially taken by the scene where Willem Dafoe's character um, tries to encourage his partner to visualize herself in Eden as a form of um, hypnosis therapy, I would, I would call it. The way she sort of floats through the forest is possibly one of the most uniquely beautiful parts of the film especially as, if I remember correctly, and cut this if this is <laughs> incorrect, <laughs> but I don't think there was, if I remember correctly, there was no extra diegetic music in that sequence at all. You could only hear Willem Dafoe's and Shirl Gainsbourg's vo- voices, which I thought was just fantastic. Mm. It's interesting how sometimes the lack of something is actually much more powerful than, you know, it. I guess especially in... When we look at Scorsese and his latest film, The Irishman, and the sort of oh not yeah, con- sure. controversy, but you know how he's saying that Marvel films are, aren't actually proper films and all that, um, it's really a, a very interesting juxta- juxtaposition of uh, a sort of prototypical Marvel film that's jam-packed with not only characters but action and CGI and literally everything that you can think of, compared to Montreal, something very sort of when you you actually stop and the film makes you almost physically stop and go what's <laughs> going on yeah um, exactly i was i was kind of uh j- trying to reference that the feeling of being stuck in front of the screen as the a real is really the, the thing that appalls me every time i watch uh, a movie by last one three and so also antichrist i mean um I think that the, the physical and psychological reverber- reverbs, uh, or reverberations on the audience are are like really what matters in his films. Um, for example, um, skimming through some critical reading of Montreal, we can find that um, actually uh, his films open a new debate in the like state of realism and also also in relation with neo realism. Um, since basically the dogma movement was found uh, was founded um, in the sense that no one took the, the manifesto seriously apparently <laughs> <laughs> not even Winterberg and Fundria and in fact you can see the break in the waves uh, almost does away with all the like uh, precepts and the manifesto even if it was shot in 1996 which means it was basically Fundria's first feature film <laughs> uh, so yeah um it's it's appalling to me how Funtria manages to actually recreate some kind of realism. I mean, um, his films are kind of open-ended, but in a sort of Kubrickian way, I guess. What I mean is, um, Kubrick's films are obviously complex from many points of view, but the point is they are very explicit. He creates symbologies, he creates symbolism, but then 
Kubrick explains everything to you. And in doing this, he really manages to, to get deeper into your skin, I guess. Um, it's something very personal, maybe. <laughs> but So maybe you guys don't agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about... Because I feel like we're kind of dancing around the controversy of the film itself. And, you know, it's interesting that I have three of you here and you all pretty much love the film. Is that would you say, or would you feel more positive uh, about, about the film rather than negative? Like, you don't hate it, or do you? <laughs> you, f- you look like you do. <laughs> I, I didn't hate the film, mm. but um, I did reach a point where I thought to myself, who would I recommend this to? Yeah. <laughs> you know, who, who is this film for? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. I'm still, I'm, I'm still pondering that question. And I think this is exactly something that I was saying, you know, before we started recording, that I I have so so many gut feelings, you know, feelings that are kind of accumulating in my gut that are negative towards the film, even if I haven't seen it, because it is so brutal, because it is so violent, because I don't really agree with politics or contrary, which is a personal thing. But I wonder, you know, it kind of triggers questions like, who is this film really for? And how, you know, what is it about the controversy? Do we need that controversy in order to make a good film, you know, and then, of course, you have multiple articles that do question and they do discuss, is this art or is this just, I'm going to shove all these images together and see how you react and this this is my legacy almost, you know. And I'm pretty sure that we can see from what you already said that that is not the case, that it's not just about being shocking by any means. But I wonder what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, and I think, um, I, I, as I've said, I've only seen this film once, and I saw it fairly recently, so I haven't had a ton of time to digest and ponder. But um, I did find there was one part to me which was fairly problematic and didn't really get resolved to my liking, which was um, the 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 wife. She, they're discussing her her thesis, which was on uh, violence against women, and her conclusion is that women are inherently evil. And then after that conversation, to me at least, it didn't seem that the film did anything to counter that assertion. Because, well, if I can spoil the film a little bit, the the wife kind of goes off the hinges and just does evil stuff for the rest of the film. Um, so but then she's eventually punished for that, isn't she? She is, yes. Um, so, and, you know, and... It's a two-person cast, so you know she's the only woman in the film, really. So you don't have any other examples of femininity to counter her. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, was that was that to me was problematic, and especially since I I didn't really get any closure on that particular sequence. But did you want to? <laughs> um, I'm kind of excited about this because this is what my essay on Antichrist was about, uh, precisely around the misogyny accusations. So the film, Lars von Trier commenced production of this film after a two-year-long struggle with depression. And according to Charlotte Gainsbourg, she was told by von Trier that the character that von Trier identified with in the film the most was the female character. So... I don't, I don't know if they're officially ma- married, but let's say the wife. Um, now, Thaddeus makes a pretty good point here in the sense that uh, the wife sort of, after 
this long process of researching witchcraft and witch hunts for her thesis, she ends up internalizing the very misogyny that justified these exterminations of women. And this was sort of, the way I read it, this was sort of just her developing this guilt and paranoia around herself because it is later revealed that when their son Nick falls out the window, she, it, it happened right in front of her eyes and she didn't, uh, didn't act on it. Um, while she was in the midst of sexual intercourse, which is something that um, I believe the film implies uh, she ties into the inherent evil and uncontrollability and compulsive sexuality of women. And at the very end of the film, she sort of, you know, she, spoiler, (laughs) 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 she mutilates herself in a way way that seems like Mm self-punishment. So I don't think, you know, it's surprising at all that this film was accused of being misogynist, just as many other Fontrier films were accused of the same thing, mm-hmm. as they almost invariably feature a female character who is subjected to all kinds of horrific abuse, whether self-abuse or from or something from the outside. But I think it's also a little bit ambivalent in the sense that I don't think Willem Dafoe's character is especially... Uh, portrayed sympathetically in this film just because all of his methods um, that are sort sort of based in this like masculine rationality end up failing and at the e- at the film's epilogue he you know he's trying to escape from the woods and he is faced with this throng of faceless women and he sort of just the looks on in complete bemusement which in a way, if I wanted to be extremely charitable to Antichrist, and now I don't, I honestly don't think the film is misogynist, but I don't think it's not misogynist at this. I think it's a very ambivalent film in this mm-hmm. regard. But if I wanted to view it charitably, I could maybe argue that in a way, Fontrier associates this chaotic and violent nature of women with a kind of power and a kind of independence whereas like Willem Dafoe's character is like a lot more um rationalist and naive which is something that if von Trier did sort of base the character of the wife on his own struggles I could I can kind of understand how a man who was plagued with severe depression could sort of find um could find something cathartic in the idea that you know, there's this, like, massively chaotic environment and situation that the wife, in spite of being, um, in spite of descending into mania, still kind of controls in this, like, very sort of almost divine spiritual, spiritualist manner. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And I think... It's almost as if you wrote a paper on this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) And I think, in a way, in that sense... It almost portrays women in, you know, that is beautiful, what you said. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, despite the misogyny and the mutilation and the violence in the film, it almost seems like by doing this interpretation, you could really say, well, this is actually a beautiful film. The, the idea and the theme of that is actually quite beautiful, that women have this sort of, I don't want to say ultimate, but a kind of power that is quite often or not um, 
associated associated with sexuality and it's kind of and especially I guess in sort of horror films unfortunately that is the stereotype that it's the women who descend into some sort of mania that is to do with sexuality and maybe sort of violent sexuality but also the sort of wrong idea of sexuality yeah. or repressed sexuality yeah. yeah i would totally agree on batty uh, with batty on this point uh, especially because I, I do really feel that this is uh by far the most ambiguous film that country has ever sh- shot i mean um if we if we take a look at Vontree's filmography, we we can see that there's always like a single character, like an individual who's set uh, set apart from the environment which he or she belongs to, because he has like uh, a deeper introspective capacity or a deeper relationship with reality or deeper powers beneath the surface of reality, uh, and this is what makes them suffer, basically. Um, and so, um, but but the point is, there's always a clear division. I feel between good and evil in Fontier's films, uh, which is what we can't find in this film, actually. For once, the as we said before, the cinematography uh, is total, mm, is totally almost surreal. It's I don't think it's it's like um, it's we, we shouldn't overlook the fact that this film is dedicated to Andrei Tarkovsky. <laughs> so it's like th- there's no real ultimate interpretation for this. Um, and so, yeah, as I was saying, the, the fact is, this is really... Uh, I wouldn't say this is, a, this is a turning point for Fontaine's filmography because, uh, like, subsequent films like Melancholia or even The House ja- the Jack Built went back to a kind of Manichaean, almost, vision of reality and of life, I feel. But at the same point, yes, it, it, it marked the shift towards the, the, the opening of the so-called trilogy of depression from Fontaine. So, yeah, I think that's bad. It's totally right in... In, re- in also relating uh, this film to the director's personal life, which is kind of a wrong thing to do when we talk about film criticism, but maybe we can just indulge ourselves a little bit now. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I feel like I could go into that direction, but I feel like there would there'll be another hour of discussion. <laughs> 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 um, so, we did mention before that we are... You know, that is, you were saying that you are not entirely sure who to recommend this film to. And so in terms of reception or kind of, you know, the target audience of this film, what what do you think is the, the question I want to ask is, what is the pleasure that you derive from these kind of films? Is it the sort of what you mentioned before, um, how deep he goes and maybe he sort of reveals something about the psychological state of human beings? Or is it, what it, what is it about his films? And why should people watch it and why should people even like it perhaps mm. okay Thaddeus you go first because <laughs> I have a, an interesting anecdote on, on the last film by Fontria to to contribute to you guys afterwards so you go first <laughs> if you have something to say <laughs> well I've, I've been asking myself this question you know since I watched it which was you know what sort of pleasure did was derived from my viewing of this film and you know, I, I think for me, like, you know, especially because I grew up indoctrinated in this Hollywood system, uh, I was really taken by the aesthetic of the film. I thought he did a very good job, especially like the cinematography is beautiful. Like if, if you're a fan of filmmaking and the craft of filmmaking, I could recommend this film to you. Um, if you're looking, if you're looking for character-driven, plot-driven cinema, this is not gonna be your cup of tea. <laughs> um, 
And I think um, I did I did a little bit of research on my own, and I did see that there's a discrepancy in how it's received in Europe versus how it's received in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, I find that it's much more positively received this side of the pond than it is overseas. Like on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 53%. <laughs> you know. And the contributions are pretty much American to they're, Rotten they're, Tomatoes, right? I, I, I think they're... <laughs> I don't think they're exclusively American, but I would I would gander they're like eighty percent American. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> um, so I think there's definitely two different film traditions at play when viewing this film. And since I'm from, I'm I'm from a very I, I'm viewing this from a very different lens. I think than you two did. It was you know, I I would describe it. It's a difficult watch. I'm not gonna lie, um, but is it's one that. Like, I don't feel like I wasted my time watching it. And I, I, I am still kind of pondering the, the thematic elements of the film because there are clearly... Um, I, I did read that it, that it, um, it can be perceived as an, an origin story, like a recreation of the Adam and Eve myth. But I was also viewing it from... Like, it's, it's clearly a, a mental illness allegory as well. Like, it's very much about grief. Um, so, I guess I would, re- I would recommend it to the art house horror crowd. <laughs> you know, folks who, folks who appreciate, you know, atmosphere and aesthetic and don't mind watching self-genital mutilation. <laughs> there you go. That's the pitch. Can I can I give you my little anecdote on the first Von Trier film I ever saw? Mm-hmm. Like oh, yes, my please. very first encounter with, with Von Trier. It's a little bit off topic, but I think a lot of this applies to Antichrist as well. So when I was fourteen years old, at the tender age of fourteen, I was a big fan of Bjork. Mm. Oh, um, I know where this is going. As you, as you do. <laughs> So I loved her music, and I found out that she starred in a film. And <laughs> I thought, naively, like, oh, this is going to be fun to watch. I like her music. <laughs> and so I found, so the film is obviously Dancer in the Dark, which is a supremely difficult film to watch. Um, I would say even worse than Antichrist, just because it's a lot more sad. <laughs> Antichrist oh, yeah, is like, totally, yeah. Antichrist is horrifying but dancer in the dark is just incredibly depressing and i watched the film on youtube of all places and keep in mind this was before um youtube allowed you to put on videos that were longer than 10 minutes (laughs) 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 so i watched dancer in the dark in 240p uh in like 10 parts divided across youtube that's like a tv series man yeah (laughs) and by the time i was done with it again i was 14 i was i cried for about 45 minutes straight i was completely (laughs) inconsolable like my mom came into the room she was like betty are you okay (laughs) nothing is fine (laughs) nothing is okay um so i was i was completely heartbroken by the end of that film and I had I had no idea what I was really going into when I started watching it. But I have to say, that sort of initial shock, especially when I was so young and didn't know anything about Von Trier or what his films were like, that sort of, sh- that shock and intensity ended up being the reason I continued to watch his films, just because like it w- it's not about shock in the sense of gore 
or in the sense of the brutality of what's happening, even though that's obviously a factor, but also in the sense of just pure emotional intensity. I find, I find his films, or at least I found them at the time, very cathartic and very... Um, you know, you, f- you feel like you're subjected to this incredible emotional trauma, but you kind of come out of it, like, you come out of the, come out of it, like, on, out of the other side, and you sort of feel enriched in a way, like, without trying to get too sappy about it. I do think it kind of, like, his films in general, but especially Antichrist, are films that are sort of defined by the affects, you know, they sort of produce in the viewer as well. I don't know if I'm quite as enamored with Fanchiri anymore, but at the time, this was something that was very unique, really, and something that I couldn't really... uh, Something I never really observed in any other director that was popular at the time. So in that respect, I think if you sort of go into this as an experience, and if you sort of enjoy being, you know, like... If you sort of enjoy being abused by a film <laughs> in a masochistic fashion, then not just Antichrist, but Fentrier's films in general are, are perfect for you. <laughs> Two minutes. So do you want to go and talk oh, about the anecdote? Oh, the anecdote, yeah. 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 So, yes. Uh, first of all, who would I recommend this film or Fentrier's film to? Like, as you said, everyone, but everyone who's like willing to dig deeper into his own or her own psyche without going crazy, or everyone <laughs> who's willing to uh, go beyond the, the stigma of voyeurism that has been attached to Fontria like since e- ever, basically. Uh, because what I do really feel about Fontria's face, and this is connected to the anecdote, is that they're not much about voyeurism which I would relate to for example a gratuitous use of violence or of showing off uh, intimate parts of our body with with no purpose at all Um, but really um, uh, his films I guess are concerned with taking things to the limit when we are uh, we are obliged we are compelled to talk about things that we wouldn't usually talk about in our daily lives uh, and so the the anecdote is the Fontrius uh, last film which came out in last year basically uh, 2018 and it was the house the jack built was censored in italy uh, because someone like the distributor the, the head of the, the, the distributing company this one single person thought that it was better um, not to show to the the poor and unexperienced audiences of Italy um, scenes of like breast mutilation or scenes in which a couple of children was being shot. Okay, so spoiler: this, <laughs> this is what happens in the film. This is also what happens in the film. You're really yeah. selling this to me right now. I know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So to wrap up, it's just like. Um, being Italian, being a film study student right now, and, and being a Lars von Trier fan, it was something that deeply upset me just because it was like, you're you're cutting off exactly what von Trier films are all about. So the final note would be, people, go watch Lars von Trier's <laughs> films because they're not so much horrific and they're great. <laughs> in spite of everything that we just told you, they're not, <laughs> <what's> <laughs> they're not that bad. They're not gonna ruin your life. Yeah. <laughs> amazing thank you so much for joining me today it was a great pleasure talking to you of course my pleasure of course thank you thank you it was beautiful thank you